0: Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 227 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Pain to Purpose, an interview with Maddie Peters. My name is Kristen Anos.
1: And I'm Matt Sabatello.
0: It was such a joy talking with Maddie today. I'm so inspired by her journey and basically how everything she's gone through has led her to finding her purpose and becoming a naturopathic doctor and giving back.
1: Krista, Maddie was our 227th podcast guest, and we learned so much from her. She talked to us about how she got stuck in the healing cycle, where she kept treating for Lyme for three years, but wasn't getting any better. She finally found that there were two things preventing her from healing, both of which you talk about in your book, Krista, and she was finally able to address those things, overcome them, and she's so close to remission.
0: You know, Matt, I related so much to Maddie's story. Not only also going to a clinic and doing some really intense treatments, but finding out that there were missing pieces to the puzzle.
1: So Krista, that's why it's so important for everybody to listen to this podcast episode with Maddie and to check out your book, TikTok, It's Lime O'Clock, A Warrior's Guide to Reclaiming Health and Happiness, dropping on January 11th. And I've been so fortunate to be able to read this and gain so much personally from your book and Maddie's experience on this podcast episode.
0: And without further ado, Pain to Purpose with Maddie Peters. Well, welcome, Maddie, to the Tick Boot Camp Podcast. So excited to have
2: you here. <laughs> I'm excited to be here.
0: Yay. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about your backstory, where you grew up, where you live now.
2: Yeah. So I grew up in St. Catharines, Ontario, in Canada. Um, I grew up with my two sisters and my parents and I don't know. We have a family cottage near Bancroft, Ontario, that we spend like most of our summers and holidays at, which is lovely. It's about four, like two hours north of Toronto, four hours from our home. Mm-hmm. I am now living in Toronto um, for school. I'll I get into that later, I guess. But yeah, I'm recently moved to Toronto, but have lived in St. Catharines, Ontario, my whole life.
0: Oh my gosh, I love Canada. I want to come come up where you are. <laughs> um, what was your education like?
2: Yeah, so I am 22 now. So I Mm -hmm. did all of my high school in St. Catharines. And then I went to Brock University, which is also in St. Catharines, took medical science there. Um, At the time, I was healthy. I was just really into science and math, not totally sure what I wanted to do. Um, I got sick with Lyme around grade 11 of high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then After Brock University, I applied to the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is where I'm at currently, to study to become a naturopathic doctor. So I'm in year one of four of that, but it's an exciting journey.
0: That's amazing. And I can't wait to hear more about it. So you got sick when you were around, what, 16? Yeah. Grade 11. So Mm -hmm. before getting sick, what was your childhood like? Did you have dreams and passions? Were you active in sports and
2: things? Yeah, I was definitely an active kid and teenager. I danced competitively from, I think I was nine until I graduated high school. So that was a huge part of my life, upwards like 15, 20 hours a week of my daily life.
0: Oh my gosh. And then I
2: did gymnastics on the side because I couldn't pick between which one I loved more. I ended up, I coached gymnastics all through high school because it was the best like side job I've ever had. And then I was on my school's swim team in high school. I ran my school's dance team. I was on my school's student council. I was thinking back. I don't know how I did. It It was like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. Thankful to my parents and my sister for driving me around everywhere.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
2: And so when you got
0: sick around age uh, 16, did things change?
2: Yes, it was from one extreme to the other. I was, I think it was around like April, May of grade 11. And obviously at first you're just like, oh, it's only lasting a couple of weeks. I was trying to tough it out with school. And then after about three weeks of all the neurological symptoms I was having, like debilitating migraines all day, every day, the light and noise were just exploding my head and really triggering. Mm. I was so exhausted. I was like falling asleep. Like I could barely make it to lunch. I was having to go have naps in my teacher's office. I would have to sleep when I get home from school. I was really dizzy and fatigued. I like couldn't keep up with dance practice without like just completely falling apart. Um, So eventually... I was like, this is serious. So we started going to see all the doctors. And thankfully I was a really good student and my teachers all loved me and knew I worked hard and wasn't trying to get out of anything. So I ended up missing the last like month and a half of grade 11 and they just oh, wow. thankfully passed me and let me go have my bed rest for the month and a half, which I'm really grateful for. Um, happy I was in high school at the time and not university because my combinations in university were a little less nice. Yeah, um, But oh yeah, gosh. so I was- all of a sudden, I was off. Dance season was done by then. So Okay. Or I guess when I first got sick, I was finishing up the season for dance. I remember going to the ER the night before our dance recital <laughs> and just like pushing through it because no one really knew what was going on. I was kind of keeping quiet about it. Mm-hmm. So I pushed through that last dance recital and then was off school for the next month and a half and did absolutely nothing. <laughs>
0: your body needed it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. I thought a month and a half would be long enough, but it definitely (laughs) wasn't. Definitely not. (laughs) We learn as we go.
0: Yeah. Um, What was grade 12 like?
2: So I was stubborn and set on that. I was like, I need to go to university the next year. I'm going to finish grade 12. I'm going to pick up all my commitments. I thought a summer in May and June off would be fine. Mm -hmm. So I went back into grade 12 full swing. I gratefully had like had some spares as you do in grade 12. I remember my mom and swim coach forcing me to quit the swim team. Like literally like my mom started to like, be like, I'm not taking you. My coach was like, you're not allowed to be on the team, but I was being cool. so stubborn. It's like my favorite thing. Um, so I still did things and my dance mm-hmm. sisters were kind of trying to get me to like cut back too, but I was definitely stubborn. And it was kind of my last year of all those like high school extracurricular yeah. things. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to stay involved, so I pushed through more. Thinking back now, I probably should have let myself rest, or like, I it would have done better in the long run. Maybe it would have shortened the course, but yeah.
0: should have, yeah, would have, coulda. Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly, and you can't really mm-hmm. change anything now. But
0: nope, I can't. Th-
2: remember getting my grade twelve report card, and my absences were like through the roof. And I still did well because I was did my own work and focused. Yeah, um, but yeah, I definitely was not at school a lot. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. Now, do you remember being bit
2: by a chick? Not at all.
0: Not at all. No. Yeah. That's a common story for so yeah. many people. And when you first got sick um, in grade 11, were people believing you? How did your family react?
2: Um, yeah. My, my parents were definitely like, this is from night and day because they obviously saw how busy I was. and how energetic and i wasn't a complaining kid um like i wasn't just like trying to get out of going to school or like i loved going to school i loved all my practices all of a sudden when i couldn't go i was calling my mom to pick me up from school they're like Mm -hmm. this is pretty intense like um but i feel like with everyone else it was hard because i just had this vague list of neurological symptoms and it was hard to explain it's like oh i have a headache and someone's yeah. like, "Yeah, me too." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> yeah, not
0: <laughs> the same thing." Not the same. So that same was definitely thing.
2: tough. So I think I really kept it more quiet through the end of my high school and just tried to really put a face on when I went to school and saw people, mm-hmm. which was also not a great strategy. It exhausted me to no end to act super healthy and right. perfect in grade twelve and that like mm-hmm. all day, and then come home and collapse and like. I think I just oh. broke down most nights after school because I was so exhausted. And like, it just added oh. to my exhaustion pretending like I was good because it was too hard to explain that I wasn't.
0: Yeah, I always say that we are the best actors in the world. Mm-hmm. Like we would be winning an Oscar for yeah, I our did performances. <laughs> yeah, of pretending to be well. Um, how were your friends at school during this time? Did you tell them or kind of just have mm. that... Bright face on
2: yeah my close friends knew what was going on like mm. vaguely but I didn't even know it was going on until right. om- it, that January of grade 12 was when I got that Lyme diagnosis mm-hmm. so it was about a year later and at that point I was kind of in shock from like I remember coming home from the appointment and like I just had no idea what had happened like what was going on and um, I can get more into that story later but Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely hard. It was kind of a weird thing to tell people. Eventually, I kind of started telling my close friends, but even then, some people like had no idea. Like, I graduated high school and I had no clue what yeah. had gone on. But my close friends definitely were like supportive and there for me as much mm-hmm. as they could because they didn't. I barely understood it at the time, so they barely understood it. Obviously, where right. I feel like now most of, I have a better understanding of it, so my close friends understand it more.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. I I so relate to that um growing up did you ever learn about Lyme disease do you remember it being taught or talked about
2: I remember like I mean I live in Niagara I guess you guys probably wouldn't you wouldn't know much about Niagara like the region I live in but it's definitely <laughs> lots of like nature and hiking trails and even Ontario is full of camping and cottages and mm-hmm. forests so I think I remember like seeing tick signs or like be aware of ticks and I even know at Brock, there's like, by all the edges of the forest, there's like, watch for tick signs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is also very endemic in that Southern Ontario region. Um, so I remember seeing like a couple tick signs. Um, but it my wasn't parents like, talked had, about. Yeah, and I only mm-hmm. knew like my uncle's family friend's son had Lyme, my parents had gone to this big fundraiser maybe four years prior. Mm. Um, but I was young and didn't go to it, didn't know much about it. Um, but I ended up reconnecting with him about a year or two later, which was really helpful. But other than that, I hadn't really heard of it much.
0: Yeah. That seems to be our story as well. Yeah. (laughs) And hopefully that changes with these podcasts and things. Um, I would love to hear more about your diagnosis story a little bit.
2: Yeah. So we started going, obviously to my family doctor, to any walk-in ER around our area, just starting the local ones. And mm-hmm. I went to like internist, neurologists, family physicians, all the specialists. And I was getting like migraine medications or oh, maybe you have a concussion, but I'd never got my head hit um, different like mm-hmm. painkillers for headaches. Um, the whole you're stressed. It's you're a 16 year old girl. You're anxious. You're depressed. You're making it up. Yeah. Um, and I said, that was really hard. I was thinking back, I was really young and it was very intense. And I'd never even thought of the fact that a doctor wouldn't believe you. Like it just had never crossed my mind. I was 16 and had gone for like, I'd broken my hand. I'd had a couple like strep throat or something, but mm-hmm. it was definitely hard. And I mean, it was I, was, I was also at a weird age where I was kind of on the cusp of like making my own medical decisions, but like so, some doctors would talk to me, where some would talk to my parents. Oh wow! Um, and we had some weird things where like the doctor would be like, "No, you make the decision," and then I'd be like, "Oh, like what do your parents think?" So it was definitely that added a weird dynamic to trying to figure out what was going on and navigating all the medical stuff. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and I tried to see everything. I went to like chiropractors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I actually went to a naturopath until I was diagnosed, interestingly enough. Um mm. did you start seeking treatment immediately after symptoms began, or was it like a, a couple week, of months? I would say a week.
0: A week. Or
2: wow. like so, a week after I like left school and was like, so maybe it had been like three or four weeks of like mm-hmm. really serious. Um, we just started going to my family doctor and everything, neurologists. You started getting, but then the referrals. Mm-hmm. Um how many well, doctors did you see?
0: Do you know? Oh,
2: goodness. I used to, we used to have a big list. I used to have this massive binder. It was a very small little notebook at first of medical staff turned into mm-hmm. stacks of massive binders of everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. I would say at least 20, maybe between like doctors and different healthcare professionals.
0: Wow. Oh, which yes. I know
2: is high, but some people no. who, have so many more too. No, it's
0: not. That's around how many I saw, but it took me Mm -hmm. that long in around 10 years. How long did it take you to get diagnosed?
2: About a year.
0: A year. That's a lot to see in a year. Yeah. We were just kind of
2: (laughs) taking any referral we could get and doing everything. I remember like, there's three different neurologists in St. Catherine's like, we'll go to the mall. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We have to do that and we have to keep advocating for ourselves. And it sounds like you've been doing that the whole time and your family's really been on board.
2: Yeah, it's been really helpful. I mean, it was definitely frustrating in some of the like weight engagement, like see a specialist in four months from now is pretty tricky. Mm -hmm. Um, But in that time, we did all the like MRIs, CAT scans, spinal taps, every test of the books. And then yeah, we couldn't figure anything out. Yeah. Um,
0: How did it feel to learn that there were some doctors that didn't believe you.
2: It, it's like, it's traumatic. Like I'm not gonna mm-hmm. make it sound any nicer. Like it's really upsetting, but I think it's, you don't, I don't know. I just, obviously I'm going into naturopathic medicine and want to be a medical professional, but yeah. on the patient side, you just don't like, you can't look at doctors the same way because they've dismissed you and mistreated you. Um, yeah, yeah. Was pretty traumatic,
0: rough. And do you feel at all that gender Plays a role in this. I personally have,
2: as yeah. a woman,
0: for whatever reason, just get I get more dismissed.
2: I think for sure. I think my gender and age made a perfect mm-hmm. little combination there. I think um, at any age, women are misdiagnosed more. I actually read a book. Um, it's called "Doing Harm" by Maya Dunsbury I think her name is, mm. and it's all about the gender bias and misdiagnosis in medicine. And it is probably one of the best books I've read.
0: Um wow speaking of misdiagnoses were you misdiagnosed within that year
2: Yes but with nothing I mean yes but nothing like no substantial disease it was kind of like oh maybe this or maybe like tension headaches or maybe this and that or mm-hmm. like maybe migraines but it was nothing that I was like no that's not it so I never had treatment for anything else Yeah okay
0: so most of your symptoms were mainly neurological can you yeah. touch on those a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So I had, I was saying I had these like, ex, like debilitating pounding headaches mm-hmm. that never broke ever. Um, 24-7 basically. 24-7 for like two years straight. I think. Oh I my like, God. Yeah. And then I had this, uh, my eyes and like were really sensitive to light and they were just really strained and blurry vision,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, like noise as well was just like knives in my head. I was really fatigued and weak and dizzy, mm-hmm. um, a lot of brain fog, just exhaustion. I think those were the main ones, but then everything comes and goes. And like, I feel like I had plenty of other symptoms here and there, but those were the
0: those main are the main ones. ones. We do yeah. have like main symptoms and then like secondary symptoms. Yeah. I feel like all the
2: treatment effects and mm-hmm.
0: and then you yeah. as you go on this journey, you're like, oh, that was a symptom. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I've had a lot of those aha moments.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So then
0: you got diagnosed.
2: Yeah. So how was that? It was an adventure. (laughs) Um, So we ended up finding through my family friend, who's also a chiropractor. He, I was going to him to see that there's something wrong with my neck or, and then he mentioned that a friend of his had kind of a similar story and had gone to a doctor in New York um, that was specialized in Lyme. And we're like, you know what? We don't know what else to do. We'll go. So it was about a nine hour drive from my house. So thankfully my parents and I were like, yep, we're going. Um, I think we'd done the Igenix test, the Mm -hmm. Lyme test back then. And we had gotten it back and my family doctor just had, he tried his best. He's like, I have no idea how to interpret this, was trying to be helpful, but was being really honest, which I am grateful for. I remember he called and he's like, oh, the test is negative. And he called back 10 minutes later and was like, actually, I think it might be positive. I'm not really sure. (laughs) So then I think my mom spent the whole week, like I remember our kitchen table covered in like papers and her just like trying to research everything to figure out if this was positive, we should go to this doctor in New York.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so we did end up going, thankfully, my parents, we did a little drive to New York for nine hours. It was in Plattsburgh. Amazing. Um, and we saw the doctor there. It was Dr. Maureen McShane, which is, who is sadly retired now. Mm. Um, but she was absolutely wonderful.
0: Um, was it night and day talking with her versus the other doctors that you? It was
2: like nothing I'd experienced. It yeah. was... I think there was an hour intake with her nurse and then two hours with Dr. McShane. So I was just like, oh, my God, you're talking about that? like you're letting me like I'm getting all my words out. You're mm. when I say something, you're like, oh, I understand. So it was just she had had Lyme herself. So that's oh, also wow. a really like she just completely understood it. And I just felt understood for the first time. And she really talked to me and my parents really well. There was always such a good dynamic between the four of us in the appointments, which I really appreciated.
0: Yeah, I love that. And did did you feel like she looked at your overall story compared to the uh, other doctors?
2: Start to finish. Yeah.
0: It's so important. Those are the doctors that really make a difference mm-hmm. and we need them. And then yeah. you got diagnosed. And how did you feel? Did you feel excited? Did you feel nervous?
2: I honestly think I cried for the 8 9-hour drive home. Like I just sat in the back seat and I think I was in shock because I was like, "Yeah, this is great," and I was like, "Well, this sucks. So this is not the like I wanted the easier diagnosis than this."
0: (laughs) Yeah, but at Um, least it
2: kind of made sense. Yeah, so it was like it was like, "Yes, this is like validating." It's I have a word to say when people ask what's wrong. I'm gonna start treatment, which is a huge step. But I was like, "How serious is this?" Like, (laughs) yeah, I really like. And I remember asking her, I was like, so it's just like three months, six months. And she's like, we'll reevaluate at three and six months. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, perfect. I'll be like, I'll be good to go to university in the fall. But <laughs> she was also like telling me not to, she's like, it's probably going to be more than six months, but you're also young and was healthy before this. And it was only a year since I'd thought it, like gotten seriously sick.
1: So Marty, it was did a wave you-
2: of emotions.
1: Yeah. Maddie, did you test for anything else for hygienics besides Lyme disease, or was it just strictly a Lyme test?
2: I honestly can't remember. My amazing mother spent all her time a- analyzing the tests. Um, I think it was all the co-infections and stuff too.
1: So, did you, and you explained to this doctor, obviously, the severeness of your symptoms and the thought was within a, th- about a three-month window, you'd be back to your full health.
2: Oh, no, I just thought that she definitely did not agree with that.
1: Okay, <laughs> <to> say that. <laughs>
2: No, I was like, I was being optimistic and thinking, I was like, oh, like, we'll start treatment. Like, when am I going to be better? <laughs> um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And she, but I had an appointment with her every three months. So she's like, we'll reevaluate how you're doing in three months. And then every three months we either met online or we drove back to New York.
1: So walk us through your next steps? You got your diagnosis. You had that, yeah. that emotional response, which is like, I finally know what's wrong with me. But then what did you do to start treating Lyme disease?
2: Yeah. So Dr. McShane was an MD, but was kind of working as a functional medicine doctor. So I did lots and lots of oral antibiotics, but also a ton of supplements, herbal formulas, tinctures, um, all different naturopathic stuff, like the binders and clays. And I can't even remember. I remember coming home and making this spreadsheet and being like, oh my God. (laughs) But so we did that and it kind of Switched up different oral antibiotics, oral antifungals, all the different things. Every like three months, we kind of switched up the plan. Um, I started seeing a naturopathic doctor in the area and doing intravenous vitamin C and different, I forget what else we did at first. And then I went to a different naturopathic doctor in the area. And so I'd more of the glutathione and phosphatidylcholine IVs. And that became a pretty heavy part of my treatment as well. And t- on top of all the pills and supplements at home. <laughs>
1: So of all the things that you did, Maddie, which one would you say helped you the most when you first started treating?
2: Um, I, would, I don't know. I would say at mm-hmm. first, I also started a pretty intense diet at the time. I was like doing the no gluten, no sugar, no dairy, no this, no that um, from Dr. McShane. I think a combination of it, honestly, that's about all I was doing right away. And I definitely... I mean, it, I think it was pretty, I didn't get better in the first couple of months. It was a big shock to my system to start this huge treatment plan. By the end of grade 12, I was feeling pretty good, not better. I would say like I had made some improvement, was definitely not worse. Um, yeah, I don't
1: know. <laughs> Do you recall any of the names of the specific antibiotics you were cycling or the antifungals or the herbs or the binders, any, any specific um medication you were on?
2: yeah I think I took like every antibiotic in the book now when I'm in school learning about them I was like check 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 like I think I've honestly taken I would say like over 20 different antibiotics like she was always cycling different ones um I honestly can't remember which ones they were mostly all of them and then supplements were all over the place as well I'm there I was upward of like 50 different ones throughout the time
1: so now walk us through you're at your End of the senior your senior year, and you're really sounds mm-hmm. like your baseline, and you made some progress, but you're still kind of just plateaued, right? You're not getting worse like you were, but you're not seeing yeah. the results you really want. So do you continue on with this after the you know the first six months or so, of treatment, yeah. or do you pivot over something else?
2: Yeah. So she, I remember we went back that summer to see her in New York in person, reevaluated everything. Same kind of idea of plan, but different specific uh, medications and supplements. And I'd obviously seen some improvement, but not, not as much as I obviously wanted to see. So the plan was to keep doing it at least for the next six months. Um, at that time, I was very set on going away to university for the fall. And I was like, well, I'm getting better. There's no way. I'll, like, I'll be fine to go. I was just really ready to have a fresh start. Um, so I went away to a university. I went to Queens, which is about four hours away from my parents. And it only lasted about eight weeks until I moved back home. Um, I was just so sick. And I think I kind of lost my healthy routine. I was trying to keep up with university life and school and kind of dropped my treatment a little too much. Um, So then I moved home and we restarted treatment.
1: (laughs) So when you moved home and restarted treatment, was it really the same sort of cycle where you were just leveling out again and not seeing much progress?
2: Um, I think I definitely got better moving home when I focused back on my health I wasn't under the stress of school or messed up sleep schedule or not eating as healthy as I should be I was definitely trying to keep up with like university and partying and social life as well Um, trying to go to university and not be the sick kid in residence so kind of was keeping it quiet which wasn't benefiting me whatsoever Um, so we started back with treatment I can the next year was honestly about the same until my second year of university, um, I was kind of making like slow progress, was doing okay, but not anywhere near where I wanted to be. And then in second year we started this, I think the drug was rifampin, which is a really intense antibiotic. And I remember her being like, you're doing really well. If we can get through this treatment plan, it's kind of the last push you should like, hopefully this is the last round of antibiotics. I was like, perfect. Like I'll talk out the horrible herxing and the side effects. And it was so horrible. I remember my parents being like, We need to take you off this because I was so sick every day. And I look back at that. I was in university part time at Brock at the time, back at home. And I don't remember anything I learned that semester. I kind of joked that I just like blacked out for the semester I got through it. Um, But it was not pretty. So then that January, I just kind of decided I'd gotten as far as I could with this treatment method and we really needed to reassess what was going on because it had done some work, but I don't think it wasn't getting me over the next hurdle or like next bump in the road.
1: So I want to, before we talk about refamping, I want to come back to that.
2: I yeah. want to circle back
1: on something you said though, twice already. So when you were in high school, you mentioned that you were pretty quiet about it and you didn't want to share what was going on with your teachers and your, and your peers and, and the fellow students. And again, in college, when you were struggling, you didn't want to share your health issues with anybody. And you tried to a normal quote-unquote college student you party and you do all things like that so it's really gonna become a two-part question but the first part is why didn't you want to share what was going on with your friends and especially your teachers so they understood what was going on and could and can be you know helpful or, or and and really help guide you when you're struggling with your health
2: yeah so i definitely my teachers were fully in the loop in high school once um especially going like they helped me take that time off at the end of grade 11 and going into grade 12 I was really in contact with my school and my guidance counselor and all my teachers and they knew everything that was going on. It was more with my peers. Like my close friends knew what was going on, but it wasn't like a vocalize it on social media to every one of my classmates kind of thing where now I'm definitely obviously a little more open about things. I think it was just new and I didn't really fully understand it myself. And I think every time I told someone, I got bombarded with questions instead of empathy, which is just, I think at one point I kind of was like, like, what's the point in telling someone when I don't actually get the reaction I want and it makes it worse? So I kind of wanted to go to university and just have a fresh start from high school because it kind of been a mess the last year and a half. It wasn't the best strategy. would never do that now. I was just – thought it would work. And it definitely didn't.
1: Now, do, you, do you think that the controversy over Lyme disease played a role? Because people, when they have – when they stick with other things like cancer or more commonly accepted and known diseases – they're very open about their illness and they share it with everybody, including their peers. And you did and So it was that yeah. partly due to the fact that Lyme is so controversial, which probably made it harder for you to manage your illness. You think?
2: Absolutely. I think part of it was people didn't even understand what it was when you said it. So that's when the questioning comes in. And then they don't understand the severity because even if it's not controversial, like maybe my peers probably wouldn't know the controversy of it, but they would have never heard of it. And unlike what you said, like more recognized diseases, So it definitely made it more complicated. It's not like, oh, I have this disease that we all know is horrible, or I'm struggling from this thing we've learned about, and you all know that it's really difficult. Um, So it's almost like you had to prove yourself, and you'd already proved yourself to doctors over and over and over again. So I think what we were talking about acting earlier just got exhausting.
1: So now also talk to us about your lifestyle, because one of the things that I wish I would have known early on is that I really had to change my lifestyle in order to heal. And it sounds like you did not change your lifestyle. You want to be a normal college student. Again, understandably so, not to be critical, but did, yeah, his doctors, no did your doctors tell you that, look, you really should be resting and, and taking advantage of your time to allow your body to heal, resting yeah. and sleep and moderate exercise, not going, you mentioned you're going out and partying and maybe drinking in college, which again is a normal college experience, but yeah. in order to optimize your healing that's really counterproductive. So I guess the first question is, did your doctors advise you against that?
2: Yeah, so I would say I was definitely, I was not going crazy in college. I definitely was partying way, way less than any of my peers, but was trying to have the occasional social experience. Um, Through certain treatments, I obviously wasn't allowed to drink. So I'd still just try to do the social things. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like my doctor was obviously saying like the basics, like drinking not drinking and I don't think I was very often um, but I was definitely focused really on healthy lifestyle I'd grown up so active and athletic I was really not doing much though so that was really strange to me but I was really I physically couldn't keep up with the uh, activity so I was definitely letting my body rest when I moved back home to my parents after being away at college Uh, My mom and I started going to a hot yoga studio near me and that's what all my body can handle. And even sometimes that was too much, but the two of us going together was honestly game changing. It gave me like a bit of mental break. I was kind of stuck at home. I was really bummed out. I had moved home. I like thought I could do it and I didn't do it. I've been like a little bit type A, really thought I was like, I was like top of my class in high school. So being the kid who dropped out of college, even though it was obviously needed in medical and not dropping out. Um, I wasn't in the best mindset. So the yoga physically and mentally was such an important part of my lifestyle. We were eating super healthy. Um, I was sleeping all the time. So I think that was part of my, I did have a really healthy lifestyle. There was just a brief time when I might've ignored lifestyle and it clearly kicked me in the butt. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) Another follow-up question is you mentioned that you thought this would be about a three-month healing journey in 11th grade. Now, here you are, you brought us up to your second year in college around the holidays, and you're probably feeling worse than you were in 11th grade with the rifampin. So talk to us about your emotions. like How are you processing your illness after being sick for so many years and really having a lot of ups and downs and now feeling probably worse than you were in the beginning?
2: Yeah, I would say that. Part of that winter of second year, I was probably hit my like mental low of that point of treatment, but up till then I was kind of, if not doing better, not getting worse. And at this point I had started getting worse and worse again. Um, so I think mentally that really took a toll on me. I really like shut in. I always like my parent, I literally only talked to my parents and I love them to pieces and I'm so grateful I got to be home and with them all the time. Um, but it was definitely really difficult and I struggled a lot with that.
1: So now that you're home and it's been about three years of being sick and treating, did you or your family or your friends ever doubt that you were really sick with Lyme disease? And that happens with many of us where you're sick for so long and people start to question, are you sure that's really it? You're not getting any better. So, you know, did that ever come across your mind or your family's mind?
2: Um, No, but I always, I think we hit that point after doing that two years of treatment with Dr. McShane being like, something else is going on here. Like we thought it was the Lyme, but there was another layer to the picture. Um, We definitely had seen improvements and things were working. And, um, I never doubted that Lyme was at least part of it. Um, but that kind of leads into our next step of treatment.
1: <laughs> well, before we go there, Maddie, I do want to yeah. follow up on refamping because Bartonella has become a really important topic of interest here because, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the, the psychological symptoms and a lot of residual symptoms that aren't addressed after treatment for Lyme, Generally, are due to Bartonella, and rifampin mm-hmm. seems to help. But rifampin is a really aggressive treatment, and it causes mm-hmm. a lot of people to have a really, a really bad flare. So you mentioned it made you very sick. So talk to yeah. us about how you felt when taking rifampin. Like, what exactly flared, and what were your symptoms after taking rifampin?
2: Yeah. So I don't remember all the exact things. Things kind of have blurred in my head a little bit, but that time definitely stood out. I think all my symptoms neurologically were way worse. I was pretty bedridden, just was absolutely like hurting head to toe I was throwing up all the time I was just so sick um I remember like I couldn't fo- like reading like my eyes were just a mess my head was so foggy and like stabbing pain all the time and I think it just took all my symptoms from like a 10 to a 20 <laughs> on a scale of one to 10.
1: <laughs> that that's a, a very good picture so thank you for sharing yeah. that that description, but. I have to ask, now you're, again, three years in, and I'm sure you've learned about co-infections. Were you ever yeah. tested for other co-infections or the this three-year window and did any pop positive while you were you know, exploring other options?
2: Yeah. So Dr. McShane, we did all that testing. So when I was saying all that t- things she was doing for Lyme and all the antibiotics and supplements and herbals and things before were for Lyme and co-infections, um, I feel like I just grouped them together because it's a lot to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I came up with, I would say nearly all of them. The Babesia, Ehrlichia, Bartonella, the whole bag of fun. The whole shebang. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So at this point now, you're really, you're flaring pretty bad from a fan bin and you're really, if anything, the most just establishing a baseline to not get worse. So Mm. what did you decide to do around the holidays in your second year of college? It sounds like that was was a really important change in your treatment. So what happened then?
2: Yeah, so we kind of just decided that I wasn't gonna, I was like, I can't do another round of oral antibiotics. I can't keep doing the refamp and something's not working. So we spent a lot of time just trying to research, well, what else can we do? Because that seemed like she was the closest doctor to, to us that was treating it and she was nine hours away. And um, we didn't really know of any other options. So we spent a lot of time researching, trying to figure out what was going on. And that family friend of my uncle, that I talked about earlier had gone to this clinic in Florida so I kind of reconnected with him um, and started asking about his experience. And then I was kind of searching different clinics and then trying to find out if I had heard of people going them before, because you never know what you read on the internet. So I wanted to hear some firsthand experiences, always helpful to talk to someone who's been through something similar, what they did, what worked. Um, yeah. So we started looking and we started looking pretty seriously at this clinic in Florida and it was the Spinago Institute of Wellness in it wasn't, I stayed in, I think I was living in Dunedin, but it was in Oldsmar, Florida. Um, so we ended up moving there in May, but that whole kind of winter, spring was a lot of research. What are we doing? Planning for the next steps.
1: And for, for, were you still in school at that time? This is your second year of college. And now I think it was your your fall semester. I'm sorry, your spring semester. Were you still attending college?
2: Uh, yeah. So I was on like a reduced course load through my first and second year. I ended up not finishing the semester, and I, I went when we went to Florida. When I came back, I finished those courses the next year. So wasn't the most smooth semester, but I got all the credits in the end. Um, but yeah, I ended up. I think come March around that time was just bedridden and couldn't keep up with school. And that's when then we were trying to plan the steps for Florida. Um, it took a little bit, obviously, to get started and all the logistics. <laughs>
1: And Maddie, besides the patient referrals for the Spinaugle Wellness Institute in Florida, was there anything else that drew you there? Was was the treatment different than what you were doing that gave you hope that maybe a different approach would be better for you? Were there any other factors I guess I should ask that drew you there?
2: Yeah. So it was a completely different approach than what we'd been doing. I can explain more about the clinic in a minute, but I'd obviously done like over two years straight of oral antibiotics. My gut was an absolute mess. I just was, had gone through I think all the options of those kind of things and nothing was working and I had destroyed my gut and had all the candida issues and digestive issues now so it just wasn't looking like that was an option and around us in Ontario and even around Canada there wasn't really an, I couldn't find anywhere to get all the intravenous antibiotics or other treatment approaches um, we looked at a couple different places but sadly Florida was the closest one to our house <laughs>
1: So if you can expand upon that a little bit, you because first you yeah. came to New York and now you went to Florida. So is is are options that much more limited in Canada than the U.S. for treatment?
2: Um, yeah, it's tricky. So it's, I think because the U.S. is a private healthcare system in Canada, we have a public one. There's more way, like in the U.S., uh, physicians can kind of like specialize in certain things and there's different, I don't know. I think it's statewide. So I don't know too much about the U.S. medical system. I just know from what I've experienced, I can kind of, practice privately and not, I guess, when Canada, they're public practice, you're only getting your same specialties and same pra- scope of practice.
1: And do you think, do you think that in, in general, would you say that Lyme awareness and tip illness awareness is less in Canada than it, than it is in the States from, you know, obviously coming to New York and meeting with that doctor and then going to Florida and seeing with doctors there. Do you think that awareness is less in Canada than the States?
2: I think awareness is the same. I just think the medical, what's the word for it like being able to access or the access to medical professionals is definitely different um but I've had I mean the clinic I went to in Florida barely anyone was even from Florida so most people I was one of the only there's a couple Canadians but there are people from all over the state so I don't even think it's a U.S. first Canada I think it turns into like a province versus different states like states versus each other um yeah, i don't think anyone has it figured out very well
1: <laughs> <laughs> but maddie what about chronic lyme awareness because chronic lyme is like this dirty word that many people don't believe in you know mm-hmm. post-treatment lyme disease syndrome is becoming becoming more widely accepted because the cdc finally has you know acknowledged that several years ago and put it on their website yeah but you know in regard to persistent lyme disease or long-term symptoms due to a late stage lyme diagnosis is that commonly accepted in canada
2: um, I think it depends. I think the same as if you went to any general like family doctor or medical doctor in the U S and Canada, you're probably not going to get much. I think there's definitely been a similar boom in like naturopathic doctors, functional medicine doctors, specializing in Lyme, like the Lyme literate doctors. I think that's really popular in Ontario, even probably throughout Canada um, with naturopathic doctors, but obviously with their scope of practice, there's a, like, I always went to one when I was with Dr. McShane but I kind of always paired it with an MD because I needed both aspects of my treatment. So that was kind of, I couldn't get everything I wanted at home. There was definitely, my ND at home is absolutely amazing. And who inspired me to go into naturopathic medicine as my career now. Um, but I just couldn't get, I needed both aspects and I couldn't get everything I needed at home, unfortunately.
1: So Chris is going to talk to you more about your inspiration from your naturopathic doctor and your transition yeah. now to become one, which is an awesome transformation that you have there. But I want to focus Thank a little you. more on your treatment. So talk to yeah. us about the Spinago Institute of Wellness in Florida and what yeah. that was like day one. You go down there, it's probably scary coming from, you know, from Canada all the way down to Florida and walk us through what that was like and the, and I guess the process of becoming inpatient there in, in Florida.
2: Yeah. So it was overwhelming. <laughs> I remember going down there, we got there, we drove down Friday, Saturday, and we got there. I think I started treatment on the Monday. So, the clinic was set up heavily based on intravenous t- treatment. So, I had a port line in my chest. I got about the second week I was there, and they would access it. So, like, put the needle into the chest with the tube every Monday. And I would sit in the IV clinic. So, the main area of the clinic was all the patients in IV chairs, kind of similar to like a dialysis or chemotherapy unit. I always try to describe. Um, we'd all sit there with our IV bags. I would say, like, four to eight hours a day. It was like a very big mix of naturopathic and pharmaceuticals IVs um I was doing all the glutathione phosphatidylcholine amino acids vitamin minerals antibiotics antifungals whole mix of bags of IVs every day and I sat there Monday to Friday and then I would go home so I didn't live there so it was just a day clinic but we obviously lived in a we rented a house from our friends that thankfully have vacation place in Florida which worked out amazing um, and we'd go home at night after like our nine to five full-time job of treatment. And I would do hook myself up to more IVs at home every night. So it was just constant treatment. And then I had, I would say like upwards of like 50 different supplements and herbal things. And even some prescription medications having to take. We did colonics all the time as well. Um, I think that was the main aspects of treatment. <laughs> Everyone I did a their lot of little colonics. things. With, yeah, that was, I remember the second day I was there. I had no idea what a colonic was. I was, um, so I'm not sure it's coming. Oh, there we go. I had no idea what a colonic was. And I was like, yeah, like I'll do them. I'll do anything to get healthy. And I go in there and I was just like, oh, <laughs> this is an experience. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not, I don't know, maybe I should have researched it. Maybe that would have scared me, but in the end it was fine. I think, cause the treatment was so intense. Your body couldn't keep up with the detox fast enough. So if you weren't doing the clonics, you were just going to be reabsorbing everything you were killing off. So it was definitely needed.
1: So Maddie, talk to us about that. You're doing a lot of treatments, uh, you know, what we call the kill protocol, which is killing off the yeah. various bacteria, viruses, um, parasites, et cetera. And it sounds like you're what, what they did very well at Spinaugula Institute is also helping you remove these toxins as the the pathogens are yeah. dying. So colonics being one of them, but what else were you doing from a detox standpoint to ensure, I guess, number one, your, your drainage pathways are open. And number two, you were purging all this massive die-off that was occurring in your body.
2: Yeah. So every day you always had your glutathione IVs and your phosphatidylcholine IVs. And then the amount of testing I did there, I did so much blood work every week. So they knew everything about your pathways and your um, like what levels of everything in your body. And they would sit and walk through every single little thing going on with you. I think I learned more biochemistry. That's than I learned in my whole undergrad. Um, but yeah, so the detox was, it was never just, you were doing antibiotics. There was always like, you did your two hours of detox IVs and then you could do your antibiotics or your antifungals. So I think it was just such an intensive approach. And I think it worked well but it was also, they had a lot of pieces working together there.
1: <laughs> so in comparison to the treatment you were doing for the previous three years, mm-hmm. did you, did you herx less at Spinagle than you did with your doctor in New York because you were doing more to detox or was it so aggressive that it was about the same?
2: I think it was worse up and downs, but for way shorter time, if that makes sense. So it was so intense that like in the morning you were herxing horribly and in the afternoon, they had, detox you and you're back to normal where when I was doing the treatment at home with all the oral antibiotics obviously intravenous is getting through your system way faster in different absorption I feel like the Herx would last a couple weeks or at least a week or a couple days and it would take a lot of work to get it through your system where here it was so intense so the spikes were more intense but shorter lived <laughs>
1: So is it fair to say that you were killing far harder than you were with your doctor in oh. New York and your home treatments, but you were just recovering faster because of the additional detox tool that they were giving you at, at this institute in Florida? Absolutely. And I think you said something really powerful that you literally went from herxing for weeks down to several hours. And by the afternoon, you'd be back to yourself again. Is that correct? Yeah. So I just I think it's important because a lot of people share with us that you know, they'll go into these herxes that can last weeks and weeks and weeks. And I don't, I don't think they have to stay there, right? There are tools they can use to help them get out of these mm-hmm. herxes and that, that, you know, they're, it's, that's not normal to have to stay in a herx for that long. So yeah, what are some things that you did at the Spinaugula Institute that people could do at home that are listening that may help them with these herxes so they don't have to be stuck in these cycles? Um, oh,
2: that's a good question. Um, I honestly don't know. I was, I think they were really cautious there of knowing when to stop pushing. Um, that was a key thing. Cause I think some people were just like ready to get, you know, everyone got there and just wanted to get better. But the nurses and doctors were so cautious of what your body could handle from like a biological blood work standpoint. Like you're always making sure your liver and your kidneys and everything's working. So I think like, even when I was with Dr. McShane, we had monthly blood work. So it was always, if I was herxing or something, we had to like, taper back treatment. I think that was really hard for me. Cause I'm, was always the, let's just push through. I'm okay. But you have to be so careful because if you can make it worse, I think if you're herxing, you have to let your body rest and not just keep pushing with the treatment.
1: So let's talk about the immune system because you are studying yeah. to be a naturopathic doctor. And I yeah. always wonder, you know, I have a lot of assumptions or guesses. And one of my, one of my thoughts is when you're treating like you were previously to Florida and you're doing a lot of kill protocols with not enough detox, your body can become a very toxic place. And when that happens, your immune system becomes really ineffective. And although the drugs are killing the various pathogens, your immune system can never sustain a healthy lifestyle. And that's why you never really got better and you had to stay on treatment. Do you think that's that's true? And you think that's why in Florida, you probably have better results because you were detoxing and, and allowing your body to re-strengthen your immune system so you could eventually have your body go back to a state of normalcy without the assistance of all these drugs.
2: Yeah. So I think the whole immune system thing is super interesting. I'm definitely not a professional on it yet. So this is not, I'm still learning. Um, But with the immune system, I had some friends I went through treatment in Florida with who just didn't see the results that I thankfully did. And part of it was our doctors explained that the immune system, like you're in this fight mode, kind of the same thing as if you're in like the fight or flight with your hormones, but with your immune system, it's so triggered that even once the infection's gone, it forgets that like it's still fighting because I don't, I'm not, I don't know exactly like I'm not going to give all the medical terms for it, but your immune system's still fighting, even though like it's just been on fight mode for what the last three, four, 10 years, depending on the patient. So even once the pathogens are gone, your immune system's still attacking and attacking and your body just can't recover because it doesn't realize that it's recovered, <laughs>
1: Well, that's a really good point because so many people in the chronic Lyme community develop autoimmune conditions, which I believe is the result of tick-borne illness. So do you think that, you know, really autoimmunity is your body's immune system overreacting and attacking itself, right? So do you think that this this overdrive of your immune system after getting better is a contributing factor to autoimmune disease as a result of late-stage tick-borne illness?
2: I think it definitely could be correlated. I think that's such a fascinating area to explore more. And as I learn more in in like medical, naturopathic medical school and specifically in Lyme, I think I would be fascinated to read about that more and see from patients. But I think there is something, if your immune system can't get turned off, you're just going to keep fighting and fighting. And that kind of leads to an autoimmune like reaction. I'm sure. I think when I left Florida, it took me a while to get my immune system back leveled out. And that's what I kept working on for probably the next year at home with my naturopathic doctor was get making sure I was still detoxing. Like I kind of wasn't doing any of the killing, but I was still detoxing and ramping up my immune system. Or ramping, sorry, ramping down.
1: Ramping (laughs) down. Yeah. (laughs) So what specific tools did you do in Florida and then afterwards with your naturopathic doctor to help normalize your immune system or you know, I think it's also called modulate, right? Cause your immune system yeah. gets stuck and by modulating it's sort of resetting it to a healthy version of an immune system. So what specific yeah. tools did you do in case people are listening and they want to try these herbs or natural supplements or treatments themselves to try to help modulate their immune system?
2: Yeah. So I think the modulate word is the exact word. What I should have said before, I couldn't think of the word there, but yeah, you don't want to suppress your immune system. Cause you want it to work when there is an infection, but you don't want it to be working when there's not an infection or not something to fight. So the most important thing I've learned in naturopathic medicine is every patient needs individualized care. So what I took is not going to work for someone else. Um, I think there's a lot of that with, it's hard because the community is really helpful and be like, I took this, it really worked for me. But I think seeing a professional, if you have access to, because even when I'm sat in my botanical medicine lecture this morning, there are herbs, but they still, there's side effects, there's contraindications, there's cross reactions. You have to be so careful with things. Um, And especially with a lot of Lyme patients, you're on so many different medications and supplements and no two people are alike. I've met my friend and I have such similar cases, but things we've taken and treatments we've tried can be completely different sometimes. So I couldn't say, try this or add this to your regimen because that could completely conflict with something she's already taking. Um, but yeah, <laughs> sorry, uh, not, that's okay. not a great answer people are going to
1: want to hear, but but I want to piggyback off that. Care. <laughs> that's
2: right, yeah, that's
1: a great answer, though. But I do want to mm-hmm. piggyback off that because you mentioned that things you would try would help you, but they would hurt your friend. And you think some of that is because of other coexisting conditions, meaning you have a wide variety of co infections you know from your testing, maybe your friend did not, and therefore something that you were doing was addressing one of your co infections, but your, your friend did not have that and it just yeah. made her worse for whatever reason. So, again, we're all different. Right. And you don't know what else is going on in your body. What other things that are undiagnosed potentially. Right.
2: Yeah. So I think everyone has, it's not like we all have the exact same, even like level of Lyme, but we also have different co-infections. I had a lot of issues with fungal and mold infections and I have like a genetic susceptibility to mold and an inability to detox it. So that was a huge aspect of my treatment as well. Um, some people have different stages in treatment too, where someone could be at the beginning um, having to start slower where someone's later on doing more maintenance and like Im- mo- immune modulation where someone's really heavy and kill. I think no one's the same and no one's at the same stage of treatment as well.
1: But let's talk about what worked for you, Maddie, because some people yeah. may want to be want to learn, even though with the, you know, with the disclaimer of it, it may not work for everybody yeah. what specifically helped you modulate your immune system.
2: Yeah. So I think when I moved home, it was kind of, we'd hit a point where we like logistically financially, life-wise needed to move back to our house and kind of saying with the immune system you can keep fighting for so long but I kind of wanted to try and see how I felt without treatment because you could be there forever because you're not going to feel good where they're bombarding your body we kind of had to take a break and let my body rest and see how I was so we moved home at the beginning like end of August beginning of September but I think it was about a month until I really was able to like my body settled down and it was like off treatment but I still had my port line. in, so I was going to my naturopathic doctor locally and doing, still doing all the detox IVs, but no, um, kill or anything. So I was doing no antibiotics or anything, but I was doing all the IV glutathione, phosphatidylcholine, all my nutrients and stuff, because I think I was being really cautious that I knew my gut had been really messed up. So I was trying to get those in my IVs. I was doing a lot of IV vitamin C if we needed to do the immune boosting or if she think, thought like killing was necessary every so often, but definitely being cautious with the high dose vitamin C. Um, I think those IVs and having my naturopathic doctor 10 minutes from my house that was specialized in or focused on Lyme and knew what was going on and followed my case kind of through the time I was in Florida when I came home, just took my care right back on it was really amazing and helpful.
1: Talk to us about the phosphatidylcholine or, you know, people call it PC. That's been a very helpful tool for a lot of people to detox and help alleviate their symptoms. And many have seen sort of true, very immediate results when getting an IV. So did Mm -hmm. you experience a similar reaction when getting the PC IVs?
2: Yeah. So I did them all throughout before going to Florida with my naturopath at home. And then I think pretty much every day in Florida and then back home, but both places I went always paired them with glutathione IVs um, because the phosphatidylcholine is kind of Pulling everything out and the glutathione's flushing it out. So if you do the phosphatidylcholine, I always found I didn't feel great for that first half hour of my IV doing the phosphatidylcholine because you're just like your head, my head starts exploding. I feel like foggy and not good. And then you start doing the glutathione, you still don't feel great. But I think if you did it alone, you I can't imagine you would feel good. I've honestly never done it without following the detox after. So I think it's important. Like making sure you someone knows what they're doing. I think it could do a lot of damage. I had one friend that I was in treatment with in Florida. And he had found a doctor, I think they were in New York or somewhere on the east, uh, Northeast coast there. um, And they had been doing all these phosphatidylcholine IVs and they'd read great things, but this doctor wasn't doing any kind of detox. So he got worse and worse and worse. And when he came to Florida, he was really, really debilitated because he did months and months of these phosphatidylcholine IVs with no form of detox.
1: He was essentially completely toxic at that point.
2: Absolutely, they were just freeing the toxins, but then they were just recirculating all through his body.
1: Well, that's a good transition. Talk to us about the role fungus or, or things like candida in your GI tract can play in detoxing, because it's, you said that that was a, an important factor. So I guess the first question is, how can, how can something like candida impact you in regards to detox?
2: Yeah. So I think with all those oral antibiotics, I had caught such bad gut candida, which is a common side effect, especially if you're doing years of oral antibiotics. And I was on like a yeast free low sugar diet throughout the whole time. As my doctor was aware that this was a side effect. So it definitely helped prevent how serious it got. But I think after that amount of time, it was pretty bad. Um, I was never really doing anything besides I was taking like niastatin, I think to during that time to treat it, but I don't think it was doing enough because I don't even know if it was getting absorbed because my gut was all messed up. Um, So In Florida, thankfully, heavily was based on IV. So that was really helpful to give my gut a break. But I was still doing lots of supplements, but big parts of it were being absorbed. So my gut wasn't as much of an issue. Um, When we started doing, it's called amphotericin. It was an IV antifungal. And obviously, there was not just my gut that had fungal infections, but um, my head always felt so clear after it because I think I was just, my whole body was clearing out. We did all the glutathione after but every night I would go home and my stomach blew up to looking like I was six months pregnant. And I remember the first night it happened. And I was like, I like laid on the couch. I was like, my mom was with me at the time. I was like, like, something's not right. Like my stomach is not this big. Like I could puff it out. And I remember my cousin was pregnant at the time. I was sending her pictures. I was like, look at my baby bump. Like, and it was like, I was like, it's just a yeast baby. Like, don't worry. A yeast baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah it was just blowing up. And then this is pretty gross, but I would like it was all air would come out. Like I was just like air vomiting all this candida. Cause if you think about it, it is it, like when a candida blows up, you're getting all that air. Um, so it was pretty unpleasant. Um, my stomach would blow up. I would be like hurling over, like not even vomiting, but like burping bell. It was pretty disgusting. My poor family listening to it. Um, but every time I did this antifungal, it would happen. So clearly there was things to get rid of there.
0: Did the colonics help
2: with that? Yeah, I think cause I was doing them a couple times a week with all the IV. So whenever I did that, I did colonics that afternoon right after. Mm-hmm.
1: So with the candida and the yeast, what role does that play in preventing you from healing? So specifically from what we understand, the candida prevents your body from absor- absorbing nutrients, but also absorbing any kind of oral treatment you're taking as well. Is that, is that correct?
2: From what I know, I'm not an expert on this yet, but I can imagine it would impair your digestion. But I think it's also giving something, another thing for your immune system to fight. Like you're just adding to the overfoot, like your glasses already fill and you're just adding something to the top of it. I don't know all the specifics. I would love to learn, like, obviously why I'm in naturopathic medical school. I, I don't like that. There's not, I don't know the answers to these questions. Um <laughs>
1: You're you're giving us a a, lot of answers. So don't feel bad. You're giving us a lot of great answers here. I know, but I'm
2: always like the why, why? I want to know it all.
1: (laughs) So I do want to ask you one other question. So you mentioned you mold was another major player. So obviously fungus was, you talked to us about how you addressed the fungus and the role that complained preventing from healing. But with the mold, do you know where you were exposed to mold? And also what did you do to treat the mold specifically for you?
2: Yeah. So I don't know when, and I remember it was never actually brought up as an issue until we went to Spenoggle because it was never tested for never really discussed. Um, Dr. McShane was focused on like all the Lyme and co-infections. I think that was kind of part of the missing picture of why I never fully got better with her treatment. Um, There was something else. I knew there was something missing, but we went to Spenoggle for Lyme and then we did all these massive amount of intake tests and we do the Great Plains mycotoxin tests and all the different Great Plains tests, um, and my mycotoxins and molds were through the roof. And I had never even really thought about that. And then we did the genetic testing and I can't remember the exact gene it was, but it means like you can't detox. Well, I'm sure people are probably a little familiar with that one. Um, so that was completely new to me at the time, but that was also spinocles specialty as well was the lime, um, along with the lime, sorry, it was the mold and the fungus. And so I don't know where I was exposed, but with this Um, genetic disposition and like inability I think it might have just accumulated over time and I remember talking to people at the clinic it was kind of always like what came first the chicken or the egg like what came first the mold or the lime because did you have the lime and your immune system was suppressed and you became more susceptible to the mold or were you exposed to mold your immune system got more suppressed and you got lime easier
1: I don't think we'll ever know the answers to those questions we won't. although I, so I go crazy have, with them as i don't well. have an answer
2: for you
1: <laughs> <laughs> so with the mold specifically though i think again it was just another so you, you said something earlier that was really powerful i think and Lyme disease.org did an article about i'm treating Lyme disease and co infections and I'm not getting better what could it be and they listed a whole bunch of things that can be contributing factors to not recovering mm-hmm. one of them was you know was was things like candida Another of them was mold. So it sounds like when you went to Spinagle Institute in Florida, they identified that you had mold illness as well as candida and, and fungus in, in your body. Mm-hmm. And those are two things that probably prevented you from succeeding with your doctor in New York. Is that something you agree with?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I went there and it was just, I thought Dr. McShane was full picture. And I mean, it was a different type of practice, but then this I was like, this is really just encompassing everything. Um, and i was i mean i was like i think i'm just adding more issues to my list of issues but clearly um i think they definitely hinder getting better and i wish i had known about especially the mold a couple years before that um it was like it, it's frustrating when you learn something you're like i wish i would have known this couple years ago or you how come you didn't learn this like what's the what's preventing you from having access to that information that healthcare that treatment
1: so what specific treatments in Florida that you get that were given to you to address the mold? Cause I know a lot of people are, are, think they've been exposed to mold. Many people know they have mold in their home. What treatments did you do that addressed that and helped you rid your body of all those mycotoxins and mold that you couldn't detox?
2: Yeah. So it was definitely just supporting detox in general with all, I was saying like the same glutathione and different IVs that way. Some of that prescription, like pharmaceutical IVs were, um, antifungals so that was really helping there. help with the candida, but also help with the mold infections. Um, a lot, the clonics were the same detox works for everything. Um, lots of different herbal and even like after treatment, I've been on like different herbal tinctures of antifungals, which are really effective and really powerful. Um, I think as pharmaceuticals and herbals go, I think the herbals are have more variety and more to offer in that field.
1: I sorry to interrupt, but what specific, herbal tinctures did you use was it by a specific company or brand that you can recommend for mold or any type of other condition yeah
2: my naturopath would blend them herself at her clinic so she would I really love that because it was so specific to you and I honestly can't remember the names of them but she would do different blends and I mean it would change depending on what was going on or what you needed so that was really amazing to have that resource and not just be a cookie cutter anti-fungal thing
1: so just to kind of recap, you were in Florida for about four months and it was so mm-hmm. aggressive that you just felt like you was kind of getting like bombarded. You mm-hmm. went home and continued and then you just really, you stopped the killing protocol and you were just doing the, the rebuild, right. Or the maintenance to help mm-hmm. rebuild your body and your immune system. At what point did you start to feel better? Was it in Florida? Was it true? You know, a few months after being home yeah. from Florida,
2: So I think I started to feel a bit better while in Florida, like around like end of July, August, but still I was like, This is so intense. Like I, I was thinking I should be way better than this. I've been in treatment for a couple months. Um, was doing everything we could possibly think of, but then I was doing better. I, my blood tests were starting to come back a little bit better, but still, I was like they are nowhere near where I thought they would be three months in. Um, but then when we moved home, I totally kept doing the maintenance, and I would say around October, I felt like a new person. Like I went back to school, only part-time back at university. But then I was finishing up those courses that I had to postpone the semester before. So I was full string And I remember sitting there through exam period, I was writing six exams in like the next two weeks. And I was studying for like all day and my head felt clear. And I was like, oh God, studying is not the most painful thing in the world. Like I can, like I just remember having this. I was like, this is like, this is why I liked school. And I had kind of forgotten that I've been pushing through school because I had this long-term goal of like going into healthcare. And then I figured out naturopathic medicine. So I was always, didn't want to stop. because I wanted to keep moving forward, which I probably should have rested a little bit more than I did. Um, But it was really just a feeling. And I was kind of back to, I had tried out for my university's dance team. It was back doing that a little bit. Um, So it was a slow transition. I remember going to the, like the gym for the first time once my port was removed and I was allowed to exercise for, like the first time in eight months. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be a mess, but I'm going to go for it. Um, so it was a really like amazing feeling. I think I remember on that Christmas break. So I'd finished exams. I felt they were hard and tough, but it, I was like, this isn't that painful. Like what are other students complaining about? Like this was horrible. <laughs> before. Like, um, so it felt good to not be like pushing myself so hard to the point where i'd be like studying and crying because i couldn't read or my head was in so much pain um so i probably shouldn't have done that before but it felt amazing to not have to push that hard and be in that much pain and enjoy school again and then on christmas break i remember i hadn't really seen a lot of friends i moved home from florida and hopped back back into trying to go to school part-time and I'd see all my friends and family on Christmas break. And I just remember, I was like, at one point, I was like, I've done something social for seven days in a row. Like, when's the last time I've ever done that? I was like, That's huge. Not even, I, was like I didn't nap, like, except for one day. <gasps> I was like, I had all this energy. And I was like, yes. I was like, I'm all, like, this is insane. I was like, when have I ever done this? So that was kind of the exams and the Christmas break. I was like, Whoa. <laughs>
1: So, so just context-wise, time-wise, when were when was it that you were in Florida? So you mentioned you came back at the end yeah. of the summer, and then in October, you were like, oh my goodness, I feel a lot better. And then it got better and better from there. So was this, you know, this last summer, the summer before, when was this?
2: That was 2019. I was in Florida for that summer. And then it was kind of going into my third year of my undergrad that I came back and picked up school again. Um, so that was, yeah, summer, fall of 2019.
1: And from there, has it been just maintenance to keep yourself maintaining? And it sounds like you kept gaining and gaining and gaining because of the work done in Florida and the work you continue to do at home. So was it just a maintenance protocol then to help you continue to improve? And I mean, obviously you're doing amazing today.
2: Yeah. So it's definitely not been as smooth as just a maintenance protocol. I wish it was a pretty uphill climb the whole time. I've had lots of ups and downs. I kind of had an issue where like my iron tanked my body and I had to go to the hospital for like iron infusions for a couple of months and then things here and there my immune system we did some retesting and my immune system was not functioning so i had to do some different injections for immune things and then going back to like every so often if i've kind of tanking down again i'd go to my naturopath for more ivs or kind of readjust start picking up some more supplements or herbal things but overall i think maintenance i said i would kind of started going back to the gym again started working out um started getting my body back. I felt like I wasn't fighting against my body all the time. So I definitely have never gotten as bad as I was before Florida. Um, but I think it's been up and down the last little bit's been definitely better. I think I had like a little downhill in the summer. My, I think I just probably was overworking myself and my immune system tanked and some things obviously reactivate a little bit. So it just took a little bit to get under control, but then kind of a wake up call that I need to keep doing maintenance.
1: <laughs> So mm-hmm. clearly, Florida was your game changer, though, right? Because when you came back, you had some ups and downs, but you were able to yeah. quickly identify and react to the problem and go and get back to a pretty normal lifestyle. So, the question, my final question before Krista picks back up is, what do you think it was about Florida that was so different compared to New York? Because New York, and, and you just it's for three years, you were just kind of, I guess, cycling, right? And you weren't, you yeah. weren't really seeing sustainable results. But in Florida, you saw really positive, sustainable results in a four-month window with what you continued on at home. So why do you think that was different?
2: Yeah. So I think it was just the, so first of all, saying before you said one thing before, and I want to touch on that about being able to like maintain myself once home. I think I learned a lot in Florida and they were really important on educating their patients and they really emphasized that. So they also picked up on the fact that I was trying to go to naturopathic medicine was in my like in college for science. So my doctors and nurses like explained as much as I wanted to. I remember my doctor sitting down and like teaching me all this biochemistry because I wanted to understand it. So I've been able to understand so much and that's really helped with my maintenance, which is I'm really grateful for that I have that knowledge and I'm able to understand the science and medical part of it because it allows me to a little, do a bit more of like self-treatment, self-maintenance, um, which is really amazing. But yeah, I think in Florida, besides like the education bit, which helped me do the maintenance and keep up with everything. Just the all-encompassing treatment we're talking about when they picked up every piece of the puzzle and they looked at every single aspect of what was going on. And I mean, the treatment was very intense and I'm really grateful I had the opportunity to go because not, I know lots of people have looked at the clinic and it is financially a lot. Um, I'm grateful that my parents were able to support me and we did fundraisers and we had a great community support, but I also, that didn't make it any bit easier. And that was part of kind of restricts your length of treatment, which adds a stressor to it. Cause you're like, well, I got to get better in four months or like, that's all we got. Um, so that was a big player. I'm really grateful for my parents on that part. Um, but yeah, Florida, a spinal clinic in specific, I think just really looked at all aspects If we were talking about when you're doing all that killing, but you're not detoxing, that's not going to do anything for you. You're going to start going these circles or if you're doing, you're treating the line, but not the mold or you're ignoring the this and the, that, um, you're not going to get anywhere if you ignore one little piece of the puzzle, which is so frustrating, but
0: yeah. I love that you are feeling so much better today. Thank you.
2: And I would love to hear, um, when did you decide to get into naturopathic medicine? Yeah. So I think I kind of, decided in my second year of my undergrad, I was seeing my naturopath at home. I was seeing Dr. McShane who practiced, she was an MD, but was also practicing kind of in like a kind of mix of the two was really, I had never really experienced that whole other aspect of medicine besides like, here's your prescription go. Um, So I started looking into it and then seeing my MD at home. And I think the summer in Florida really solidified my decision. I think I was kind of humming Mm -hmm. and hawing between wanting to go to med school and naturopathic med school. And after just my negative experience through the medical system, I was like, I'm going to get nowhere in this field with medical school. And yeah. I remember talking to my, um, one of the doctors at the clinic about it. And they obviously, I was telling them what I want to do. They get to know you so well, cause you're there all day, every day. And he's like, if you want to learn about this stuff and like the complexities of it, he's like, go to naturopathic medical school. He's like, you'll, you could eventually practice. Like they were MDs, but he was saying, you have to do your med school and your residency. And then He's like, you're going to be 50 by the time you specialize in Lyme at this point. As an MD, I was like, <laughs> okay, that's fair. He's yeah. like, you're not going to learn what you really want to learn about. So I think he really helped me, encourage me to like follow my passions and learn about what I want to learn about. Um, so then at that point, that's why I was like, I'm going back to university as soon as I can, because I was kind of done with my undergrad, but needed to get the degree to go to medical school. Um, yeah. So I started at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto this September,
0: so exciting yeah that's incredible so Thank you. looking back at this Lyme journey it's really like you've found your passion and your purpose
2: yeah absolutely I think it's hard to imagine my life without the journey I'd love I wish like part of me is like I wish I would never have been sick but I think you always mm-hmm. grow and learn from it and think you wish it was a little less unpleasant but still taught you the same lessons which I don't think you're gonna there's no perfect way to do that yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really grateful. I found exactly what I want to do. And I am very happy with where it led me.
0: And it sounds like you've always had a passion for giving back. You talked about coaching and gymnastics mm. and, and helping others. And I love that this journey is enabling that and kind of adding to, yeah. um, has like looking back, Before you got diagnosed, was there anything you really wanted to do in life or be, or were you just so young that you didn't? Yeah, it was
2: definitely a hard time trying to figure out what I wanted to do in the midst of all that because Mm -hmm. I was 16 when I got sick. So I think I was doing really well in school, loved math and science, was like, loved going to calculus and biology and chemistry, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. So i initially just applied to like a general science undergrad mm-hmm. and then had kind of thought I'd focus somewhere in healthcare, but I didn't really have an idea besides of what was out there besides medicine or nursing. I didn't really know the options besides those two. Mm-hmm. So I think my journey really led me to the exact like niche in medicine I wanted to go
0: into. I love that. And besides just, you know, giving back in this way, really, you're going to help a lot of patients by becoming this naturopathic doctor, you've been spreading awareness about Lyme disease now Mm -hmm. throughout this journey, especially compared to growing up in high school and college and maybe not being as vocal about it. What was that shift for you? And how has that been? What have you been doing to spread awareness?
2: Yeah. So I think that shift really came when we were deciding to move to Florida because I'd been people had kind of started like close to us knew what was going on, but we wanted to needed to do like a big fundraiser and to be able to like mm. get this treatment and be able to go so I just started being way more open about everything trying to share my story for the first time I'd never really written it out start to finish and shared it with anyone which now I feel like I could spew it out pretty quickly <laughs> um so that was kind of the turning point of being more open about it and then people obviously wanted to keep up with what was going on with me throughout the time there so I remember we created like a little private Facebook group where we post updates to like everyone that wanted to keep up with what was going on and like send their love and check in um, and then I started kind of being I, I think it was just in general I and floor people knew I was there so I was making a post or two here or there kind of about what was going on a little bit of awareness um, but then this past May with Lyme disease awareness being in May I was like I want to do something a little bit more I was feeling pretty good and I just felt like I wanted to be a little bit more vocal about everything and kind of Starting naturopathic medical school, I was like, just, I don't know, I just really wanted to sh- do more than just make one post or share one story. Um, so I started a little business back kind of during lockdown. 2019, I brought out my sewing machine again, and I was like, my grandma was a phenomenal sewer and quilter, and had taught me when I was little. I'd make all these scrunchies for like my ballet class and whatnot. So I started. I was like, I was like, I can remember how to do this. Like I was bored, silly, and <laughs> didn't know what to do with myself, so started sewing these scrunchies. And then over the next year and a bit, it turned into a little like a business I was running on Instagram, doing different scrunchies. I was sewing face masks because that's. The hottest thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like tote bags, all different things. And then when May came around, kind of I started planning March, April, I was like, I'm going to do a whole bunch of green ones. So I went to the fabric store and got a whole bunch of different green fabrics. And then I decided I was going to do half of the proceeds from all my green scrunchies and masks that month to donate them. I think I donated to Lyme Ontario because I was the local lime organization near me. Yeah. So I got wow. really and that's picked up a lot more than I was expecting. Um, honestly, I thought it was just, I had a couple hundred followers on Instagram, nothing big. Some of my friends would buy scrunchies and masks and why not? Um, and it got pretty busy. I remember making my mom and my boyfriend help me cut all these fabrics. I couldn't keep up with the orders, which was amazing.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so cool that you've yeah. done all of that. Um,
2: yeah. And my dad, So I cannot forget to mention my dad is cutting <laughs> fabric for me.
0: <laughs> it's so great that you have such a great, Support system, yeah. Um, it's so needed, it's so needed on the journey. Yeah,
2: moving home was the best decision I possibly could have made through that journey. I think Mm
0: -hmm. trying to go
2: away seemed fun, but I needed the support of my parents, they were my best friends. I'd call them my roommates throughout university, they didn't love that, but (laughs) um, I love that. I actually just moved to Toronto this fall, so that was a big step in my journey as well. Yeah, finally. Moving out and feeling healthy enough to not having to live at home, which was really amazing.
0: Amazing. So now you're on your own. Yeah. And, and what kind of things are you doing um, at home for your own kind of maintenance? Um, yeah.
2: So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I did.
0: Um, it. <laughs>
2: so, yeah. So I started when I moved here. It was kind of a whole shock to my routine, but I think that I was really excited for that kind of a new fresh start um, starting like naturopathic medical school. So I started volunteering at this yoga studio down the street from me. And if I volunteer a couple hours a week, I get unlimited free classes, which to me was a bonus. I'm a student, couldn't pay for my yoga, fancy gym membership or anything. So I've been, that was like such a important aspect in the summer. I was kind of working out outside and I think moving my Mm -hmm. body is so important to me. Mm. and I think it's just a reminder that like my body feels okay because I think when I was sick working out and exercise was painful I had to push through it but when I'm able to move my body and it feels good it's just just amazing I don't know how to explain it I think anyone who's had to like fight against their body that hard when you exercise yeah. and it feels good even if it I mean it's still tough like when I'm working out sometimes I'm like this is horrible like I can't do one more crunch like
0: yeah um, but
2: it feels amazing and I think mm. I just I also think yoga is so important. I go to the hot yoga and I sweat buckets and it feels amazing. I think mentally and physically, it's a great practice for me and my maintenance. Mm. Um, I use an infrared sauna. My parents got one of the portable ones. I got that this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, my naturopath used to have one in her clinic, but then they end up shifting it to a different clinic room. So then she suggested getting one of the portable ones. So I have it in my apartment, which has been really helpful. I use it all the time. Um, maybe less with between hot yoga kind of alternate that and hot yoga get sweaty one way or the other Mm -hmm. and then just generally I feel like I am eating really healthy I've been plant-based the last four years but I really focus on like plant-based whole foods yeah Um, not eating like I mean you can be vegan and still not eat healthy but just really focusing I love to cook Um, so just eating really healthy I do some like different juices I make I do like all my binders like my charcoal and chlorella and different Mm -hmm. juices I make Um, I'm gonna do that tonight make all my jars for the week but just little things I feel like I don't I struggle to do like a full supplement or medical regimen after being doing so many intense ones and a lot of people can resonate with that once you do that so intensely you just like I can't do like 50 pills a day or even like doing 10 supplements a day Mm -hmm. um I think I get like my GI, like my stomach gets upset and my uh, bowel movements get thrown off as soon as I'm doing too much. So I'm kind of in that doing a little bit. And then mm. I remember saying to my mom, even last week, I don't think I'm doing enough. And she's like, you're doing enough. Like you're doing more than you think you are. So I think I'm trying to find a sweet spot in maintenance. Yeah. You're doing great. Um, yeah. Sometimes I feel like after doing so much, this feels like nothing. So yeah. I'm like, yeah. Hmm. I totally get that.
0: Um, do you find like you're so in tune with your body now?
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. And I feel like it's interesting. You just you know what you need, and you don't, sometimes you don't even know why. You just yep. know exactly what's going on or something. I'm like, oh, I could tell I like start taking like I took these supplements. I was like, oh no, like this is not working with me or start doing and if that's really helpful or this like really threw me off or I tried to start going for an IV again and it just made things worse I was like nope not what my body needs like if it's making me worse and not better not what I need
0: yeah it's it's so important when we learn mm-hmm. that it's like we need to become our bosses of healing yeah
2: we, yeah you and
0: become, for sure your own doctor you're actually going to yeah. become a doctor <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is incredible thank um, you I would love to hear a little bit about mindset if you have any tips on that. I feel like mindset is so important. You've talked a lot about self care physically, and yoga Mm -hmm. is kind of like a bridge between the two. But is there anything revolving around mindset that you can
2: talk about? Yeah. So I definitely think it's, I'm not an expert in this. I think I still struggle with that. I was saying Mm -hmm. earlier that this whole process is very traumatic. And I think I didn't realize how traumatic it was until I had moved home from Florida and kind of had to come back to real life because I was. Living in a little bubble there, just yeah. my family and I. Um, so I think I really didn't realize how traumatic it was until then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my mom kind of had to bug me to start going to see a therapist. I was like, no, 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 like I don't want to see another medical professional. But that was honestly game changing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I still talk to her. I still go to my appointments. I spread out how often. I mean, if thing depends on how things are going. At first, I was going way more often. Now it's every so often. But I think that was really important and a big step in my journey, just realizing how much I'd been through. And I kind of think I pretended to be normal. So I normalized what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I think that's so easy. Like we're saying we're acting, we're saying we're going fine. Like I was still doing university. I still was on my school's dance team for a bit. So on the outside, you appear really great. But I think that takes such a toll on you mentally Mm -hmm. that you're putting up this act and you've been through so much and you normalize it. But it's like, that's not normal. I remember the first time I went and she's like, that's not normal what you've been through. Like, it's okay. Like, this is a lot. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Like, so I think that was a really big step. I was so focused on the physical throughout Florida and coming home. And I think the last two years I've really focused on maintaining the physical, like I was explaining, but just really working on the mental aspect of it because it completely changes who you are the whole experience as well.
0: It really does. Um, mm-hmm. I just have two kind of final questions. Yeah, no worries. Uh, and if Matt, if you have, if you have anything else, um, <laughs> First, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you first were diagnosed mm-hmm. with that year of ahead of you being misdiagnosed, is there any advice that you would give your younger self?
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about. Just, I think I was a whole different person than just hadn't been through what I've been through now and was also just so young and in a different spot of my life completely. I think the mm-hmm. time it hit me was like just 16 to 22 feels like two different people to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I wrote something even for the um lime month campaign for tick boot camp. And I think my biggest thing was like advocating for yourself because I was you're not used to it, but people, unfortunately doctors are gonna be like, nope, I don't believe you. That's not true, you're making it up, it's in your head, or it's this, take this medication. If it's not working, that's your problem. Like you get all these answers. And like we we're saying we know our bodies best and that you only learn that with time going mm-hmm. through this. Um, so I think advocating for yourself, but also having someone else to advocate with you. Like I had my parents, I think sometimes um, when you're that sick, you just can't advocate for yourself or you're so weak and fatigued or your like cognition or your brain fog is not there. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes having someone to go to appointments with you because I would go in there and like my mom would be taking notes. I wasn't taking notes. <laughs> like I couldn't possibly do that or kind of yeah. was like defending me when something would kind of brush by me if I would kind of zoned out she was there for me. like my, both my mom and dad would go to appointments with me. I was too young. I couldn't even drive myself to all these appointments when I got sick. Yeah. Um, I think advocating for yourself, but also having that support to help you with the advocating, but also to help you in general with the support. Yeah. It's so needed
0: and the journey yeah. is not linear. It's so up and down no. and we just have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then my last question is getting into naturopathic medicine, how are you going to use your journey to really um, help others and you know with your practice? Um,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting coming into the school. I think lots of people who have gotten into the program have been through something like as a patient and mm. lots of people have it. And I think that patient perspective, I mean I don't wish it upon anyone, but it's so yeah. valuable even when we are talking, I'm in, in our health psychology class, you can tell the people who have been on the other side of it. And just how they interact with even like simulated patients is completely different in how Mm. you understand the patient's perspective and your empathy. And it's just, I think it's going to make me a better physician in the long run. Absolutely. Whether I'm treating patients with Lyme or just patients in general, I think it's completely, I can feel for the patient. I understand. Like I can literally put myself in their shoes and know what they're being through. And I think it's a horrible experience, but the lessons learned are very valuable and will only help me.
0: I just love that so much
2: that you thank you.
0: Yeah. You've really taken this journey and made this your passion and purpose in the world. And I think you're going to help so many people. Thank you, Mm -hmm.
1: Maddie. We can't thank you enough for joining our tick bootcamp podcast and we hope you have a great rest of your week.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Maddie.
1: Thank you for listening to the tick bootcamp interview with our guest, Maddie Peters to our listeners. We have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Madi, please visit our Instagram page at M-A-D-E underscore B-Y underscore M-A-D-I underscore underscore. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick TickBite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at TickBootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note, we appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on social media. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.